We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collin. What up, guys? This is Ethan Sparks. Hey, this is Imani Nikki Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation! It's mid-January, so it feels weird saying Happy New Year, but also we haven't done an episode in a while. So I guess Happy New Year. We have a lot to talk about and not exactly a insanely long time to do such, but the show's back. Crew's back. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm here with Logan Jones. Logan, how it do? Hey, what's up, Steve? Just uh, just so you know, my because I have a late January birthday, I actually celebrate the new year and do resolutions and stuff like three or four weeks into January. So happy new year is totally, I think the whole month is fine. Just being like, we're doing it. 2024, we're doing <laughs> there it. There it is. Yeah, I uh, that's good stuff. It's funny because I was talking to my uh, wife recently about how like I don't want to do resolutions at all. And then we had this discussion of like, what if the resolution was no resolutions? And then because of how resolutions work, you suddenly became really goal oriented and efficient <laughs> because you were like, my resolution is no, like not nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm exercising a lot more just like naturally. Yeah. For, for the record, by resolutions, I mean like I keep a notes app on my phone of just like things I want to remember throughout the year. It's not necessarily like run a marathon do this and that it's, it's usually just like, Hey, remember this year, like for the last year you've wanted to do this and you didn't get around to it this year, write some of your book, play the guitar some more, blah, 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 blah. Like just keep it in mind. That sort of resolution. Especially cause it's been 2021 for three years now. Oh gosh. Like it's, no, it's, I think it I, was 2021 for three years. 2024 actually feels like let's okay. Let's go. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Like here we go. It's like, yeah. Like you're back at it. We're all, we're all in the headwind. Well, we have a great deal of stuff to talk about. We have, uh, some college updates. Obviously we're in the dead heat of the college basketball season. This is always when things pick up, uh, conference matchups start to, to seep down and we're getting closer to a tournament. But fun thing, um, depending on which team you're a fan of, we have some W stuff to talk about or at least speculate about. Um, as we know, Logan, free agency is right around the corner. We're not too far away from the free agencies. And the last couple of years have been electric in terms of the free agent market. And every year, from my experience, there tends to be that first like domino, like that first thing that's going to fall, that's going to make things happen, or at least like a center point 
move. Like this is the centerpiece move that kind of like sets everything around it. Yeah. You could say Bree Stewart was, was last year. Uh, Candace also in, in a way a couple of years ago, Candace to Chicago is that this year might be someone that mo- walking into 2024, a lot of people may not have expected. Maybe some did, but I feel like a lot of people didn't, but, uh, reports have been coming. Through the pipeline, I mainly first heard them out of uh, JWS, Just Women's Sports. Um, I'm not sure if they're the initial source or, or if they picked it someone else, but that's where I heard it first. That Elena Deladon, uh, at least as of a few days ago, um, there was expectation as an unrestricted free agent that she may be leaving the Washington Mystics. That got a little bit spicier over the last couple days. Uh, with the Washington Mystics... Um, enlisted their core designation on Elena Deladon officially. So that obviously limits options for Deladon in terms of how that moves, but that hasn't necessarily changed that there may be high expectation. Elena Deladon may be playing with a different team this season. It just simply changes the narrative of instead of going and signing with the team, there is high potential for a sign and trade. And this allows Washington to potentially get something back in turn and hit that value. Of course, with a core designation, that also guarantees at least a, a one-year Supermax deal uh, in play to provide leverage. So while that does change the narrative from the simple, like, Landa Deladon sweepstakes, who's going to sign her, uh, it, we're definitely still in the mode of, I don't think anyone can fully confirm where she's playing right now. I think the only thing Elena Deladon has confirmed is she has a, a wine brand she's launching and just <laughs> did a public tasting for her. That's pretty exciting stuff. Logan, what's what's your reaction to the the Deladon rumor mill? I don't think we have a lot set in stone, but it, you know things are definitely moving along. Yeah, looking at Deladon's last three years, I I get why Washington isn't giving like their star kind of the star treatment right now. Like they they aren't completely screwing things over either. Um, I think that they would just much rather commit to a short term one year supermax than they would anything else um, purely based on like the, you, she played 25 games two years ago and 23 games last year. So she's out there two thirds of the time. That's okay. Yeah. It's not great for, for like a, a foundational piece of your team. And then obviously 2021 was her, her big injury season where she just basically that's just a lost season, but she's still really effective as a player. I think we, it depends on how you think of her. If you're still thinking Lena Deladon's going to go out and be the centerpiece of a championship team, I don't know if I'm going to expect that from her in the year ahead. Like she's she's going into her year 34 season. Um, her points per game have declined each of the past four years, but they've declined from like 21, 20 points per game to like 16. So she's yeah. still an elite scorer and an elite assister at the professional level. You want her on your team if you're one of those like teams looking for a mercenary type player, like, Hey, we're one piece away. Let's, let's, let's just load. Let's get this, you know, yes, it's a big name, but like maybe she comes off the bench. Maybe she does this and that. I don't know. But even that sort of scenario doesn't seem like a long term deal. And I, I imagine yeah. Del Don with her injury history and, and going into year 34 probably is looking for more than one year signing onto a team. So it depends on what yes. she's looking for. I don't know what teams are in financial like a financial place to make a move for her right now. Um, we'll have to dig deeper into that depending on whether it looks like she is going to return to the mystics or not right now. I would put like a 51% chance that she returns to the mystics. So this really could go. Yeah. 
I, I, I think they would have an amicable split if they can't reach it in agreement here. Yeah, I think the dynamics with Washington are very interesting because I think talent-wise, just to be clear, pound for pound, is Lenny Deladon a elite player? Obviously. Like that I don't think that's what's in question. Um there's a lot of factors behind her point and shot load, a lot of that being in the absence with injuries. Natasha Cloud has become an elite level player and and she's always had that ability, but has very much Natasha Cloud has argument to become the face of the Mystics franchise. Um, should she agree to sign? Cause she's also an unrestricted free agent, which may think makes things really spicy, but, um, you know, I think a lot of that's gone down, but, uh, I think the move by the mystics was more strategic in terms of, and I don't recall if Bree's last year in Seattle was core designated. I don't believe so. I believe she just signed a one year deal, but I think the narrative there was let's run this back one more time. Let's try this out. Um, I think the storm understood very much this potential for greener pastures, but we've got one more year potentially with this crew. Um, at the time, I don't think they knew for sure, but like good reason to believe the super going to be calling it. Like, let's try this out. Mm-hmm. And then that decision was made. And I think the idea here with the mystics that I sort of understand is the core designation guarantees you a one year super max deal. And we have the potential to say, if we can get cloud back and we can have a healthy season with this roster, let's see how far we can take it. Maybe add something to intrigue. Um, there's potential there to make things happen. I think the other side that Washington has here is if we can't get you to energetically want to take that supermax, I don't think they're looking to negotiate a contract with her right away. No. I think you're saying if, if if you're not exuberantly excited about the potential of that one year, at the very least, it's important for us to get something back out of this and, and uh, you know, make something work. And I think that's where the leverage of the core designation works here because, and not only with player ability and like who they can get back and what they can put together, Washington currently sits sixth on the, the draft list right now. And there's potential that they could talk a team or two into finding their way maybe in the top four. I I mean, Indiana is obviously not going to move their spot. I don't know if L.A. would it too. From three on, you have some argument potential of, is Atlanta Deladon enough of an argument to drop yourself to six? Still, It's still a deep talent riddled draft. You're going to pick up someone solid. That puts them in high draft situation pick up some key players. If you can maintain yourself and sign Natasha cloud to a contract, uh, you still have her star power. Shakira Austin is still on the rise. There's a lot of high potential in Washington. The narrative switches and this officially becomes the post Mike Tebow, Eric Tebow era of let's, let's try this with, with some new clothes. Uh, But that's kind of what remains to be seen. That that's kind of where I'm interested is, I think Washington knows they have leverage to make some moves just comes down to if there are teams that are willing to do that, because now the argument on Deladon's end is different. It's not necessarily like courting Deladon, where's she going to go? Where's she going to sign? It's more about who can make that deal and who can put that together. And that's what I'm interested in. And is, I don't know if that's our next question is if that's happening, if that's the discussion, what team's answering that call? Like what, potential yeah. is there who's adding that i have an immediate team in mind i don't know if you have any thoughts i, I, I don't kind of, I, go for it i have one that jumps out just because of the potential i have in front of me and because of narrative i want to be clear 
This is pure Steve speculation. I've never had a source for anything in my whole life. I have no one to back this up with, and I'm certainly not taking words out of anyone's mouth. I've watched the H-Bomber Guy video many times. I understand the importance of sources. I don't have any. This is speculation. Um, but based on next moves, based on building around a roster, and based on draft leverage, the Seattle Storm seems like an intriguing landing place for, mm. for Deladon. They're fourth on the draft list, so you're looking at talking to Seattle, dropping back a couple spots. That puts – Potentially, this is kind of the name that comes to mind. A lot of people probably would see this as a second or third pick, and I get that. But that might hop the Mystics into Cameron Brink territory, which I think if you if you need to replace, you know, you need to put a rookie into that Deladon spot, that's a solid yeah. one. Um, and I'm not saying that's for sure who they'd be gunning for. On the Storms side, we just watched Jewel Lloyd break the single-season scoring record cement herself as a bona fide top-level offensive star in the WNBA. That's known. That's understood. It got the Storm as a roster seemingly nowhere. And I say that in the nicest way possible. <laughs> they were one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, they need something to build off of that. They need something to fill that gap that they no longer have with not having Bree Stewart around. Elena Deladon is a pretty d- enticing name to add to that ability, if that's something she's comfortable with. Core designation means she essentially has the ability to call off a trade. So she has a lot of right to to pick where she goes. So if that's something that's intriguing to her, that's interesting. In the past, I know Elena Deladon has voiced the desire to be close to home for a lot of reasons, and that's a big part of why she went from Chicago to Washington. So that limits you geographically. If that's not something that's high on her list now, I know she's had quotes recently about how winning is her ultimate priority. She wants to, you know, she wants to win. She wants to have high level success. The opportunity to pair with Jewel Lloyd and and try to build something in Seattle is intriguing. And they have that leverage. I don't see Phoenix being that place. Like just looking at the draft board and seeing where they could pop up. And I certainly don't see the sparks necessarily making that move for some reason. It's just not on my, so Seattle's the first name that pops into my head, but as I look at things, it's interesting to see like who else could buy. Cause like, for instance, I think Atlanta will have a compelling discussion because that's a, a bump up for them. Um, the Lynx is like a perfect uh, yeah. fit for Cheryl yeah. Reeve, but Seattle's really interesting because here's, here's my simplified version of what this negotiation table looks like between Deladon and Washington. Deladon is coming forward and saying, I'm a name. Tickets and jersey sales, blah, 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 blah. I provide a baseline of 15 and 5 every night, and I want to win. That's I, She's 34. She wants to win. I think she probably has two more seasons before the injuries get the best of her, and she's like, you know what? I'm tired of putting my body through this. I want to win. Seattle doesn't seem like the place that you'd want to go if you want to win, except that they just signed Jewel Lloyd. I, I am surprised that Jewel, I, uh, Jewel Lloyd decided to, to stay in Seattle, but because of that, Feels like Seattle must have been able to pitch her on a plan to quickly get back to being a winning yes. team. Picking up Elena Dell down in the offseason, again, she doesn't have to go in there and be Bree Stewart, but 15 and 5 a night from Deladon in Seattle instantly turns yeah. that into an interesting team. I don't think the Mystics or Seattle have an easy road to competing with the Aces, but so does nobody does. Um, so like I, I think that's a worthwhile thing to explore. Um, and I, I, 
I, I think the mystics are almost, you don't want to come out and say it out loud, but it certainly seems like things inside the mystics organization are trending towards, we need to transition away from this era and create a new generation of yeah. this team. Like the I window is closed. We need to open a new one. And there's, I just don't see Deladon being around for that. Can I throw out, I just had a thought. Can I throw out one more wild scenario just for fun? Oh, I just thought of anyone who's going to hear this at home is going to say, Steve, there's no way this happens. I agree, but <laughs> um, this is usually where fun stories begin. There's a couple narratives that are interesting to me. Obviously we've talked about, and I think there's a direct quote from Deladon where she talked about how, you know, winning is, is like the, the key point for her. That's what she's looking at. I think I, I have it right here. Quote, I just want to win. That's truly what I care about most. It's been my whole career, but especially coming back from all the back stuff and feeling like I'm really the strongest I've ever been. I'm in great shape. I feel like I have a lot more basketball to play and I want to win. So it really sounds like the narrative being thrown out there is I want to win basketball games. I want to get back in championship contention. Now, another name on the unrestricted free agent list that could be interesting, especially given how last thing panned out last year is John Quell Jones. Let's say John Quill Jones wants to be in a higher profile position where she can have much more higher standing as a name um, and importance. And let's also say she wants to play with the coach that coached her to an MVP and several finals appearances. She wants to play with Kurt Miller again. We're not exactly sure what the Okuma case situation looks like. Core designation in New York went to Bree Stewart. So we're not sure fully the situation in LA, but let's say John Quill Jones wants to play in LA again. That's a really interesting to, to have a player probably not even yet in her prime in John Quill Jones in Los Angeles suddenly opens up a spot in New York. Is it? That's it's like, I'm not saying it's happening, but it almost fulfills like and it's New York. It's, it's North, you know, it's Northeast. It's, Somewhat closer to Delaware. It, it definitely continues this trend Seattle of, Bay. like, I think in the WNBA, you're seeing some of this now of, like, the they can't keep getting away with this trend where, like, the Aces add Candace Park in the offseason and the Liberty add Elena Delada. Like, I think those sorts of things will continue to happen and make people wonder, like, how be rare are they if, pulling this off? Like, It wouldn't be rare for that side of the country if you want to see what Gotham FC has been doing in the offseason for the NWSL the exact same narrative. They have like most of the USWNT roster over there and people are like, how is any of this yeah. possible? Yeah. Um, so the, like, what, I, I, what I find most fascinating about that scenario is I, and again, this is, this is just my impression. I'm not, I, I, I feel fairly confident about most of this, but when you look down the list of like potentially like coveted free, unrestricted free agents this coming off season, Stewie's probably not going to go anywhere. Brittany Griner is going to stay in Phoenix. Brianna Jones is coming off of an Achilles injury. I don't know if she's going to go anywhere or not. I don't know if NECA is going to go anywhere. She's played her whole career for, for LA. doesn't mean she couldn't go anywhere, but I kind of see her staying there. Dewana Bonner isn't going anywhere. Satu Sabali, I think Dallas is going to pay up and match any offer that she gets for another team. So like a lot of these big names that could be on the move, I don't think will be on the move. And the exceptions are the two that you just mentioned. I think John Quill Jones and Elena Deladon are two of like the top. They're the only two of the top mm -hmm. 10 available free agents that I think are a realistic, like I could see it. 
Um, and yeah. NECA is probably the third, like my honorary mention, like maybe, but it, it's tough to envision it. Yeah, exactly. That's where it gets really intriguing is, um, like, I think those are going to be the two moves that kind of start setting a lot of things in motion that move a lot of electricity. Natasha Cloud is also an extremely interesting one. I, it, I don't necessarily anticipate her not being in Washington, she, but she could go anywhere. But not every team this is Natasha Cloud. There is a high demand for quality guards right now. Yeah. Um, and not a lot of movement. Her price point could go up pretty significantly depending on where she wants to land. There is not a team in Philadelphia yet. So that <laughs> argument isn't there. That's a wink and a nod. I'd, I'd love to see a Philly team. Um, but like that, it gets really interesting in that case. But I think Deldon and John Quill are where things are going to move differently because I don't know if John Quill coming back to New York is a guarantee. Is it highly likely? Yeah. I'm going to say it's about 80 to 90% likely. On the weird off chance that we see a differential in that movement, uh, LA makes a lot of sense to me for a lot of reasons, Kurt Miller being a big one, but then it kind of makes things really interesting with what happens in New York. But I, in general, I expect New York to play yeah. the run it back scenario, but that's where it makes things really yeah. fun. And also, we, I don't know, we don't know for sure if Deladon doesn't just say, okay, we'll try this one more time in Washington. That's where your clouds movement is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say, we, we've probably spent, you know, 19 of the first 20 minutes of this episode just on the Elena Deladon situation and how that affects everything else. We could spend easily that amount of time and more on all the places Natasha Cloud could fit if she went somewhere else. She's, she's coming off her age 31 season, which is not like, I only bring that up to compare it to like, like Deladon going into age 34 is, is starting to look like, all right, she's been injury riddled and, Things could be slowing down. I consider 31, 32 well in the prime of a career for a guard. And it was her, it was Cloud's best season. She averaged over 12 points a game. She's been averaging over six assists a game for like three or four years now. Um, she's getting to the line more. She's being more aggressive when she needs to be, um, to find and create shots, but, but also plays really well alongside big scorers. Like she literally, you could plug her into basically any roster in the league and make it better. So Natasha Cloud is pound for pound. She might be the most versatile and valuable guard we have in the league. And just in terms of she fills so many uncoachable roles. It, you know, she has the ability to, to really uplift the team in a lot of ways. Um, it's like, it's this could sound really interesting, but like when I think of the qualities, when we look back on W history, all those qualities that we loved about Kim Perot and her yeah. story. Yeah. Natasha Cloud. Like that's who I think of. You really, um, if you're a coach, you really want players on your team that help your superstar players look like superstars every night. And those role players end up being stars themselves because of what they mm-hmm. bring to, to that. Effort. And Natasha Cloud might be the best in the business at yeah. exactly yeah. that. Like that was Kali Copper. And that I think that's yeah. Cloud as well. And so it, that's where it gets really interesting. There's a lot of interesting moves as far as free agency hits. And that's going to become sooner than it is later. Now we've talked a little bit about the draft that's I, to switch gears a little bit. We've already hit some potential movements that the draft order could make. I don't know that there will be a ton because this is a very deep field, but it could be significantly more or less deep, really kind of depending on one name. 
You want to talk about Paige Beckers for a moment, Logan? Yeah. Um, is there UConn a bad time and, to talk about Paige Beckers? No, never. The, UConn is is going through it the last couple of years. And by going through it, I mean they're still <laughs> – what are they ranked right now? Poor thing uh, aren't winning I mean, championships. Anyway. I, I know, and it, it, but they, really, they're 14-3. and three, They're ninth in the nation. They're just behind Stanford and just above LSU, actually, after LSU's recent loss. Um, but that's uh, – going through it in the sense that – Unfulfilled expectations always hurt, no matter how high those expectations are or how earned they are or whatever. And I know as UConn fans and non-UConn fans alike, we we all kind of are interested in what their current core with Beckers and Fudd would look like if they were fully healthy for for entire seasons. And we haven't been able to see it. And that sucks. Um, and so there is some talk going around of Beckers uh, coming back next season, which would obviously affect the draft. I It kind of feels like Caitlin Clark has overtaken the consensus number one overall pick for the fever role for next year. We, for the last several years, we've wondered like, you know, this is going to be a stacked class in 2024. Who's, who's it going to be? And just the, the, the complexion of the the league right now just kind of feels like, oh, like it, it, I could easily see Beckers going back to college for another year just to try and go all the way with a healthy UConn team. And I like, I was Caitlin Clark is, has built, Something like she, she, her play deserves what she has built, but she has built herself into a brand. And mm-hmm. you, you add that to Leah Boston in, in Indiana, and you've got you've got something going. So it's it's interesting because I I think if she declared for the draft, she's still easily a top three or four pick, just depending on team need and who's up there and who trades around and stuff like that. But because of name, image, and likeness, and WNBA contracts, and all that, and just the fact that she loved, like she looks like she has a blast playing in the college game, and and I I think I don't know she wants to win, and I and I get it, and not having foot out there doesn't necessarily mean that they can't do something in the tournament this year, but like remember we we, we didn't get this tournament because of COVID, but Sabrina did the same thing. Sabrina and Sabali were like, yeah, we could go pro. We're going to win a championship at Oregon next year. Yes, like, <laughs> like that's what we're yeah. going to do. Um, That's yeah, and that was the narrative, and probably is what would yeah, have happened yeah. if we had a shot. Um, that's no, and that's a lot of that is my same feelings, and a lot of what I've picked up on here is, um, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With UConn, it's it's very different. You know, this is something that like in the football realm, we've seen this with Alabama. And obviously the Nick Saban era of Alabama is different, but it's like, there are those programs that are dominant in real time in different sports that who with the expectation is different. You, this is a weird comparison, but like, you know, Kobe always talked, Kobe Bryant always talked with the Lakers about like the Lakers don't hot, you know, hang division banners. Right. And like 
certain programs have that. UConn's one of those programs. And Paige Beckers was, I think in a lot of ways to people like that next, um, kind of that next, uh, flagship moment, like that, you know, kind of that next stake in the ground of, you know, we've had Bird, Tarasi, we've had Maya Moore, we've had Bree Stewart, and kind of that next era was, was Paige. And while this may not be something that immediately would she'd say aloud, I don't know. Uh, I think in the Yukon community, there's a lot of pressure. I'll put it very bluntly. And like, I could see a lot of people in the Yukon community having the feeling if we get out of the page era without a national championship, it sort of feels like a failure. Um, and I don't yeah, know if that's was, necessarily that was, something Paige would say herself, but I don't know if that's fair, but I would say so. I think that it's something yeah. that feels true, even if it's not necessarily like, like we won a lot of games, we had a lot of success. Like, that's, yeah, and but, that's not what I believe. I think it's more like I could yeah. see that being that expectation because this was the next takeover is kind of what it felt like. And I remember not only when Paige signed, because I was expecting when Fudd signed with UConn, it really felt like that. It really like who's yeah. going to beat this team. And we haven't had a shot at them getting a chance to run that through. And I see that being a huge element. And they also really like to play together. And FUD has actually been open about she's pretty much planning on playing with UConn as long as she's able to. Um, you know, why would she want to go anywhere else? I think was kind of her narrative. And that's what makes that interesting. So Paige could very much before we even set this episode live, say, hey, I'm going in the draft. But <laughs> I I think there's high potential for uh, that kind of narrative to shift what that makes it interesting. And that's kind of my question for you is like, where does that change the era of the draft? Like right now, my assumption is if, if Paige was in this draft, I see her going to maybe three, right? That's kind of generally the thought process. Yeah. Who jumps into those spots? If it's you, if we look at the mock draft, board where do you see that going uh it i still see cameron brink as being a very high pick it's hard for me to know exactly where other than because after the first like one or two picks in each of the last couple drafts you know we always do our live draft party thing right that we broadcast and on whatever channel we're on that year i feel like after the second pick we're always just like dude i don't know what's happening right now Except Kyle. Kyle. To Kyle's credit, I know he hasn't been on mic in a minute, but that dude studies out his draft board like no other, and he's been extremely accurate the last couple of years. Props to Kyle. I uh, I think this is a draft, oddly enough, as, as talented as it is, where you really draft for need more than overall talent. Like I, I think you take Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers, regardless of who you are or what you need, if you're in those positions. And then after that, it gets very technical. Um, there's, mm. there's a lot of teams with a lot of needs to try and catch both the aces and a New York team that looks at, at times last year, like they might've been able to, to keep, keep pace with the aces. And, and you're not going to do that by like bringing in a rookie and just plugging them into a roster and being like, I don't know, different systems can, you, you want someone that is going to complement your existing roster if you want to compete. And that's just like hard. Mm. To find. So we, you mentioned Brink earlier is a good fit in Washington, which you kind of have a proof of concept there because 
she can come in and play the Elena Deladon role, and it's fairly seamless. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, like I the I think uh, this is a tough one too. But who's the the center? The South Carolina center Cardozo. Yeah, take someone like that. She's six. She's six seven. She's playing at South Carolina, so you know she's you know she's talented and she's well coached and she's got everything going. For her. She hasn't really generated the same amount of buzz as someone like Aaliyah Boston. Few players do. Um, she still averages like fifteen and ten every night. Mm-hmm. I I could see any team taking a shot on her who needs a big, but I don't think she's the sort of player that can just go to any team regardless of roster makeup and instantly make an impact. If that makes yeah. any sense. Like, like only if you need to plug the center hole on your roster, is that something that, that I would do? Um, if Aaliyah Edwards is in the draft, I really like her pretty much anywhere. Um, she can like, it'd be really fun to play her at guard, even though I know she plays power forward just cause I think it'd be mean and really fun, but she'll go somewhere and play power forward. Um, Is, yeah, wait, I think, wait, wait, wait. I, I, I apologize. Is Angel Reese declaring this year? Is she going in the draft next year? This year? I don't know if it's official or not, but there's that's, something that's a big name sure. that I, I don't want to neglect because she is. Well, that's she what has I was going to say is what, in the world to yeah. be a big time scorer, but I also I I wasn't considering her part of this class, and I'm just yeah. now realizing like I'm that was I'm a question an article, and I'm like, wait a second, if she's in this class now, it becomes yeah, like I you know I do. I have some favorite. I love Virginia Tech, so I love Georgia Amore. I she's one of those that's going to get mocked to somebody in the first round, but I could easily see her. Who was it? Was it Dana Evans? Yeah, a couple years ago that like we all had as like number four, and she ended up going in like like the second or third round or something like that. I could see Georgia Amore being a player like that who we all adore, and we think she's a top six or seven pick, and like ends up like the end of the bench somewhere. But Angel Reese isn't going to be – if she declares for the draft, she's going to be going somewhere that expects her to make an impact right away. That's um, where it gets interesting, though, because I don't see any picks taking her anything before seven. And I'm really intrigued why that's happening. Now, um, anyone who wants to make this, like, personality claim on it or something like like a character judgment on this care. because of what happened this year well that <laughs> one it i don't care and also that's like an extremely uh sophomoric and i would say potentially racist thing to say like it seems really weird that um there are people that are it's almost like with reese there's definitely people who are trying to find reasons to make that a part of the narrative sure if people are not are people are not at the scene you know bursting at the seams to draft Angel Reese, I need a good answer as to why. Um, because if you're, I, if she's if still you're a top GM, three player in the in the country to me. If you're, G, let's say you're the GM for who do you want to be the GM for? The Chicago Sky. They were they were the eighth mm-hmm. seed in the playoffs last year, so you can compete or you can hit a big reset and like go hard in the paint for like a future high draft pick or something like that. Let's say you're like, dude, I'm looking to retool. Like let's, we have some good players. We've got copper on the team. Like let's get someone in here who can be a scoring threat. Just her first year. We're going to get angel Reese. If you're a GM who believes in Reese's talent, you're not going to fade her in the draft because of drama. 
right? Like mm-hmm. because of personality stuff. Like it, it'd be one thing if it was off the court issues that were that were significant and and criminal in nature. Like you get that in football all the time. You're like, is this guy even going to play, or is he going to be, you know? not mm. available you're if you believe in her talent you're picking her you're not like oh well if we can get her in the second round then that'd be great but we're yeah. not gonna waste a first round. and you're it bugs me because like this isn't some johnny manzel situation <laughs> this like say whatever you want about any drama that's been circling around lsu say whatever you want about the weird like cryptic kim mulkey pressers while she was while while reese was away say all of that Angel Reese is a highly talented and marketable star player. Um, she will, f- if you don't even want to talk basketball, if you want to be one of those Darren Ravel dorks, she's also going to put butts in seats. Like that's, what's interesting to me. So like, I'm intrigued by that. Discuss- like if it's me, I feel like Clark, if, if Paige is out of the discussion, Clark Brink R- Reese is, Kind of my one, yeah. two, three. I, For- I'd say Clark one and then two and three are mixed depending on who you talk to. Aaliyah Edwards, I think, goes really high. I would take Georgia Amor if she was in, if, if in she the declared, running personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other name that's creeped up lists, it's slowed down a little because they've had a string of losses, but, uh, Alyssa Peely out of Utah, um, I think has turned a lot of heads. She plays very well above her size. She yes. has a very unique style under the basket. Um, so I think she's someone who's going to move, uh, up and down draft boards. Very interesting. So there's a lot of names that make this discussion intriguing. And a lot of what's going to set this in motion is, is where page ends up. Yeah. Um, I I would love, I would love if Peely went somewhere in the draft to a coach that I would trust to coach defense, like to, to Mm -hmm. like a good player development coach. I think she could be very good. And virtually all the, I was going to say like Angel Reese could return to, she, she doesn't have to declare this year. She could return to LSU next year. Um, so could most of the names that we're discussing. Beckers, mm-hmm. Brink, Cardozo, even, even Caitlin Clark, um, Aaliyah Edwards, they, they can all Georgia more. They all have the option to return to college for another year. Some of them will declare, some of them won't. In the case of Angel Reese specifically, her stock was so high. Like, like Caitlin Clark was ready to define that last tournament in 2023. And then Angel Reese did like she, she was the story. She was the name. She was the image people were seeing and her stock had never been higher in terms of draft stock. If LSU underwhelms this year in the tournament, which they're ranked 10 in the nation right now, even though they've only lost two games. So like, Maybe people are getting a little bit too harsh on LSU. I don't this really know. Exact same narrative happened with them last year too. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. get scary for people who hate LSU. It's gonna get very scary. And and yeah, but I again, she if let's say they underwhelm, they get bounced in the second round, a la Stanford. Did Stanford get bounced the first round, second round? Um, if that sort of thing happens, I could see her returning for another year, just in an effort to be like, I don't want to be the eighth pick. I want to be the first pick. You know, and and I could see her. I could see that. So. I, I doubt that for any of these players, anything is set in stone in terms of them declaring or not or not declaring. Like, there's a lot of money to be made and glory to be had and friends to play with and, and everything still in college and incentive to remain in college for these players that doesn't exist in a lot of other sports. Like the yeah. dynamic between women's college ball and the pro game is very interesting in that way. So all of this could be moot. Other than I really think Caitlin Clark is the first overall pick to the fever this spring. I think that's happening. So that's the one thing you can 
this, I just don't. I think Indiana's. Come on, you're looking at putting Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark on the same court. Like, watch, go back and watch the final four matchup: South Carolina and Iowa from last season. Even though Aaliyah Boston was out with some foul trouble, watch that game. Watch the talent spread in that game, and you're telling me the best player on either team is going to be on your roster. Yeah. Yeah, and we, yeah. we've, Losing we've talked way. about this before and we'll talk about it yet again because it's constant. You don't have to cherry pick a game to see Caitlin Clark doing something amazing. Um, she just does con- like constantly. Yeah. She's, she the might highest, be, yeah. it, it, other than apple of my eye, Damian Lillard, who's now a Milwaukee Buck. Like, I don't know if I've seen a basketball player so determined to show up in big moments as, as Clark has. And she will either hit a game winner in the biggest ranked matchup of the season or postseason, just cool as a cucumber, or she can do what she did last Saturday and just beat the crap out of number 14, Indiana, so that a game winner isn't necessary. <laughs> I'm um, glad you brought that one up. Of, because, one of the yeah, two will happen. We got definitely two sides of, of Kaylin Clark over the last week and a half or so was the Indiana game and then, of course, the Michigan State game, which everyone obviously talks about the bonkers buzzer beater people are for some reason forgetting to also mention that 40 seconds before that she had like a block of the year contender <laughs> um just she's yeah, good. good stuff she's also good. shout out to she has her own cereal um so i mean that's you can never for some reason that's always a thing with me if you've got your own cereal you've made it so if you're in the iowa area and you shop at hyvee and it's still on the shelves <laughs> <laughs> kind of dumb if you don't grab one. Also, send me one because I want I have my display back here. I want to add a box of oh, um, that would be cool. Kate, uh, Caitlin's Crunch Time cereal is what it's called. Oh, that's it's incredible! Cornflakes. That's great. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I believe it's cornflakes, which is fine. Who cares what's in the box um, <laughs> at this point? But yeah, so the draft board is going to be really interesting. Obviously we've talked a lot about free agency. Um, before we put a bow on things, anything from the college uh, line of games from the last week you want to call out? Cause we've, we've had some pretty fun matchups. We're now down to one undefeated team. That's a fish. Um, South Carolina is the lone unbeated team um, as of now, which means we have a string of very dangerous one loss teams. Um, Iowa second as it stands, but a lot of really good one loss teams. But any, any recent mashups you want to call out? Yeah. The entire Sunday slate, um, we're recording this, let's see, January 16th. So the 14th, yes. the Sunday slate, big stuff going on in the Pac 12. They're always, the Pac 12 is always tough. Um, so you had number nine USC over number two UCLA in a good game. UCLA just off to a super slow start. They just couldn't get going. Um, Colorado beat Stanford, which wasn't an upset, but they beat them by 12. Um, so number five, mm-hmm. Colorado continues to be really impressive. If you remember last year, like, again, I, I know we haven't recorded an episode in a while and sometimes there's so many teams playing that things get jumbled and you don't remember what happened in the last year's tournament, Colorado, the best defensive team in the nation, except potentially Stanford, um, in mm-hmm. last year's tournament held Stanford to 59 points. So that's worth keeping tabs on, uh, Auburn who had not won a game in the sec, Toppled number seven LSU in a very close. That was, that was just a good like rivalry type matchup game. Like sometimes those games are just close because they are because the the players buy in and they care. And 
it was back and forth. It was awesome. It was just a really good game. It doesn't make me see LSU as a pretender at all. It's just, it's fun to see Auburn get a big win because they're currently 12 and five and unranked and could mess some stuff up in the tournament if they end up making it. Yeah. Uh, apple of my eye, number two, Virginia Tech actually fell to Florida State. That was a, that was a ranked loss. Number 21, Florida State. Number 11, Virginia Tech. Um, that was another one where Virginia Tech just started slow. They made a nice push in the second quarter to get back into it, but Florida State's a really good team. Um, and then I think that does it for all of the surprising results. There were a lot of other really good games Sunday too, but it, it sucks that they always stack women's college basketball against the NFL on Sundays. But if you do seek those games out, we're getting, we're getting phenomenal matchups, um, early. I mean, this is, this is the time of year where you start getting the conference matchups, but you're still getting some mm. good out of conference stuff. And that's been really fun. Also, availability is a real pain in the neck right now in terms of networks. Yeah. You know, anything on the Pac-12 networks a pain to get a hold of. Big Ten networks a little tough. You've that's, got I, you've got Big Ten games on Peacock out of nowhere. I, I was going to say um, that's part of why I was excited that that like Caitlin Clark is such a bankable. Like I hate I hate to refer to someone as as purely through like their marketability and like. I don't want to commodify anybody, but if you're a network like Fox, you're like, yeah, we'll put Caitlin Clark on TV and she will perform in this big game. Like she will not disappear. We know that, Mm -hmm. you know, so seeing games on Fox for women's college basketball is really fun, but it doesn't happen often enough. And you're right. Like any of these PAC 12 games, you're just like, dude, nobody has the PAC 12 network. The PAC 12 barely exists. Like (laughs) there's, there's no reason to have it. I'm gonna. I mean, you and I are West Coast kids. I I'm gonna miss the living hell out of the the, the Pac-12 oh, as it a sucks. whole. It sucks. And there's a lot of people. There's a lot of short-sighted people who called the end of the Pac-12 when the football season ended, not realizing that there's so many more sports left to play. But man, the Pac-12 has four players in the top four teams in the top ten right now, and so it's just like, man, this stinks. It's almost. It's sad to see. Uh, Kind of the end of there. Cause this has been a lot of fun. I mean, especially where, um, I mean, fight on the Trojans. It's been really fun to watch that build up. And it is fun. And Juju has been and, beyond as advertised, uh, throughout yeah, the season. Not, not just because of traditional matchups or, or even regional matchups, but also just like th- they're going to combine some of these Pac 12 teams that are the, like some of the best teams in the country with Mountain West teams that just have no business playing Stanford and, and UCLA and teams of that caliber. And, and that's not very compelling. And it's so much more compelling to have these teams play each other twice every season and stack up against one another before March. So we could really get a sense of like these, these teams are for real. They have something to bring to the table. I'm, I'm annoyed, uh, both because I am, I, I am a big sports fan. So I love football. I love basketball. I, I follow it all having football dictate the conference makeup of the entire country is frustrating. Um, like the transfer portal can be frustrating. There's a lot, like there's a lot of aspects of college sports that can get sticky because it's amateur sports, but it's not really. And we all know that. Um, but to, to just let football and TV money dictate, um, like conference lines is, is dumb because it affects women's basketball directly, even though it has no, you know, yeah, it's, it has about as much sway on who belongs to what conference as like academics. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So that's my, I only, have, that's my only rant on that. I have one more question and I think we can call it on the yes. episode, but this is a big one. So we have one, two, three, six, one loss teams. So we talked about, we have one sole undefeated team. We have six, one loss teams 
uh, in the rankings. They run two through seven. If you got to pick one, who are you taking? And maybe you can throw in a dark horse pick if you want. If I have to pick one to win it all, you just got to pick just, one. Just, yeah, just got to pick one. Just got to pick one. Uh, <laughs> I I think the popular pick would be Iowa because they are a really good team. They they didn't drop off last year after losing Sonano and some other good players. They continue to be well coached and have one of the best stars in all of college sports. Uh, I uh, I really like Colorado. <laughs> like, think, um, yeah, Stanford that's and UConn not, are not are not one loss teams, so they're not in the running. That's not yeah. bad at all. Yeah, LSU is a, t- a two loss team; they're not in the running. So your your choices are a perennially good NC State, um, UCLA, and USC, who just faced off against one another the other day. Like I mentioned, Kansas State is seventeen one. But I think Colorado is the one that they've they've proven to me over the last two seasons that they belong and are playing better offense this season while still maintaining an elite defensive presence. So if but you know if Colorado was going to Iowa to play in front of like thirteen thousand Iowa fans in the middle of a blizzard, I don't know if I would pick them to win. But if I'm looking at a like a neutral site, neutral everything big important game. I really like Colorado. Yeah. Um, the next week specifically is going to be very, very interesting for Colorado, especially their next two games are against UCLA and USC, UCLA, USC, Colorado and Utah all are essentially playing each other over the next week. Um, so there's going to be a lot of interesting results coming out of the PAC 12 and where that shakes out coming into this week. But that's interesting. I like that call out. I think that's really solid. By the way, their one loss is to NC state and they do have a win over LSU. So they all, all those top teams are obviously after each other, but that that's their one loss. Yeah, that's exactly. So I, I like that call out. I think that's a huge, yeah, there's a lot to like about how that's gone down. I, so you call out Iowa, they're kind of the trendy and and easy pick, and I get that. Watched a lot of Iowa basketball, and that makes total sense. A biased part of me would want to say USC um, because I've watched almost every game they've had this year. But you know something? Give me Kansas State. <laughs> this, the 17 and 1 Wildcats. Give me Ayaka Lee and Kansas State. Yeah. I really like this team. Like their one loss is to Iowa and that was a revenge win for Iowa because Kansas state knocked them off early in an early season. Two That's right. That. They beat them like um, three games into the season on the road. And it was like, yeah, it was a, whoa. Like that's why. And, Cause Iowa it was, it was a, like a, a neutral site tournament, you know, one of those showcases. And um, they met each other in like the final of that. And Iowa got the revenge win, but that was, that's after they'd already knocked them off and they have looked, I mean, they've been, Smooth since and very similar color up defensively sound. Um, they distribute the ball well. They shoot really well. Lee is a fantastic big under the basket. I really, really, really like this Kansas State team. Um, they had a very quality win against Texas just a couple nights ago. Uh, yeah, I, that was I that like was a what big I'm one too. Out of them. Their their schedule. They're number seven in the country right now because their schedule hasn't been what the other one loss team schedules have been, but the yeah. win against Texas. And then I think coming up, they've got somebody who do they Baylor. play Baylor. And then I think they have who's Texas a, again right after that. Who's on a relative skid. Um, and then I believe, I mean, TCU's 14 and four. They're nothing to, 
to blink at either. So that's going to be an interesting one. Kansas just knocked off Baylor handily and they're playing Kansas in a couple nights. Like it's, uh, yeah, that was the, weird. The Kansas, that was, a, that was a weird matchup. The Kansas state Texas game was incredibly close start to finish. Um, so playing them in Texas, when is that February 4th? That's going to be a must watch. If you, if there's a way for you to watch that game, um, that's going to be a great one. That That's what um, you need to tune into. And, uh, you know, on the 27th, as always, they get to put um, just a real pounding on BYU. And that's always fun to see. Yeah, I do like that. Um, that's always a nice <laughs> thing to see. If you're if you're us and we are, I mean, they're 11 and 7. I don't want to call them out. If I call them uh, out too no, much, I get, I get smacked in the they're face. Not but they're not good. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> they, There's a handful I, of Y fans somewhere. Listen, I'm... I'm an NWSL fan as well. Uh, I'm excited to have the Utah Royals back. And there are now like seven BYU soccer players that I have to support because of that, because <laughs> there's been a real love affair with the Royals and picking up BYU players. So I'm struggling with that. Uh, so it, BYU fans who are mad at us talking about this no, right if, now. The, listen, that's if, your if, you're, if you're a BYU fan and you're mad and you're like, you're playing favorites because you're a U- Utah State person, I'll put it this way. BYU beat Utah State women's basketball this year by just six. And I think Utah State might be the 340th best team in the country. Um, they are one of the worst basketball teams I have ever seen. So, <laughs> so a six point victory makes me feel like, ah, I don't know if BYU is very good. Anyway, I'll get off of that train. Uh, I, at some point I will spend an hour talking to absolutely no one, nobody who listens to this podcast cares about Utah State basketball. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. But they, they got to get that coach out of there and get, I mean, they just got to reset the whole program. This is this. uh Yeah. This speaks to only the four hosts of this show. Uh, <laughs> why that's important as, uh, as Utah state alumnus is in different formats. But I would say, yeah. Um, which by the way, if we're going to talk about U- Utah state coaches, current or former congrats to Reagan Pebbly. Uh, you know, GM at the, with the Sparks, former Utah State coach, um, hanging around Texas, commentator for the Wings. I like Regan Pebbly a lot. I really liked her when she was coaching at USU as well. I was doing school paper covering of the women's team at the time, and oh, nice. she was always a great interview and a really good person, and seemed to be a solid coach. Um, and had a solid big. Do you remember Bonna Jop? No, so that's before I, I got here and it was Finkbeiner. Okay, so that was about, yeah, Bonna, yeah. They had a really decent big at Bonna. I wonder what happened to them. Um, that said, um, that's, that's really kind of the lay of things as it were, but, um, this is very exciting. Obviously, this is when college ball is going to heat up big time. A lot of good conference matchups as things go. And before you friggin' know it, it's going to be March because that's just how these things happen. And then you're going to need to take many days off of work and school to enjoy what's going to be an electric tournament. Uh, we've got free agency right around the corner. I've talked a lot. Of, this is, if you're a women's sports fan, there's a lot to get into. Watch the living hell out of the PWHL, by the way. Get on YouTube and watch those matchups. For all I can say about my frustration with them branding, not branding their teams this year, I haven't watched a single PWHL game that hasn't been fantastic. Packed houses every time. And all their games are very accessible live on YouTube. Check it out. Love it. It's so good. So if you need another women's sports fix, it's right there around the corner. Um, but big things happening in, in the WNBA and women's basketball. Very exciting. Anything else you want to call to attention before we put a bow on it? That's it for me. 
Fantastic. Well, it, it's so good to be back in this chair and in front of this microphone. We're going to work really hard to continue to bring quality content to you. As always, stay connected with us, uh, WMENation.com, uh, WMENation Pod on Twitter, Facebook, all, all those areas. Uh, stay connected with us. Um, there, you know, some of our other streams of content we may be pulling out a little bit. So keep your Twitch app close, keep your YouTube app close, keep your TikTok app close. Um, we're hoping to try and refreshing things at the start of the year and get some new content for you. Uh, and we hope you'll be along the ride for all of it. But until then, thanks as always for listening to WNBA Nation. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time. Yeah, I'll see you later, you